1: On the Autosport Podcast today, another interview with a motorsport leader. Well, IndyCar has been in the news recently with an exciting new street race for 2021 announced in Nashville. Under the ownership of American racing legend Roger Penske, both the series and the iconic Indianapolis Motor Speedway have the foundations of a strong future ahead. So what does that future look like, and what are the threats beyond the current pandemic? In the latest of our Hashtag Thinking interviews, IndyCar's CEO Mark Miles talks about the push to get a third manufacturer into the series and how the sport will shape its digital future beyond linear television, amongst other topics. Here he is talking to our own James Allen. Well, Mark, listen, thank you so much for making the time to join us for this uh, hashtag Thinking Forward today. Obviously, IndyCar has been very much in the news recently. We'll get on to talk about your exciting new event in in Nashville and, of course, the the 500 that you had recently. But maybe we could start. Could you sum up, you think, the appeal of IndyCar to to the audiences?
0: Well, I had the chance, as you said, in Nashville, Tennessee yesterday, and announcing that the IndyCar series will include a a street event uh, in Nashville next year. To, to answer that very question, for me, IndyCar racing is fast. Uh, we love the diversity that we race on ovals and, you know, super speedways as well as short ovals. We race on permanent road courses We and we race on temporary street circuits. And I think that that diversity is really interesting and a great draw for, for our fans. Um, we're very competitive and that, that means a few things. It means that Literally, uh, a driver can start in the back of the grid and win the race, and that's not something we aspire to see. It happens. Um, uh, any number of drivers, can, you know, lead the championship, compete in the championship, serious contenders. Um, little teams can compete with big teams. And then on the grid, during a race, you know, it's wheel to wheel. There's passing. And, uh, and I, I just think that isn't always something we can expect today in in, the, in racing, and so they're great, uh, great uh, attributes of IndyCar racing. The other thing is, you know, our drivers. So we've got the same sort of mix from really outstanding young uh, rookies or, or young drivers and established veterans, and they go wheel to wheel. and uh, And about half the drivers are from outside the U.S., half are from here. And so I, I think we've got something for, for everybody who has uh, any interest in motorsport.
1: Obviously this, this strand is called thinking forward. And when we think forward about IndyCar from where we are now, we're in the early stages of the, of the ownership uh, by Penske, uh, an owner obviously that really understands the US motorsport scene from having been involved in it for such a long time, particularly IndyCar. And I wonder what is the vision for shaping the sport uh, for the future?
0: Well, for now, we're still very focused, frankly, on North America, the U.S. and North America. We've had opportunities to consider racing abroad. Um, for now, I think the, the answer to those inquiries is, no, we're going to focus on the U.S. So drill down and really um, accomplish everything we can in, in the U.S. market. Um, we are already, with all due respect to Formula One, I think in the States, we're the dominant uh, uh, open, open wheel uh, series. And, how, and what more can we do with that? So um, that's going to mean uh, in the short term, we're not looking to see how many races we can have. We want to have in, in very successful events wherever we race. Um, and I, I do believe that the announcement in Nashville is uh, portends uh, great things for, for the series uh, and, and that edition beginning next year. Um, Diversity is important to us. We, we want to... Uh, to be welcoming and extend uh, the invitation to be part of the series to folks of all uh, uh, all backgrounds and, and not just as fans, but certainly as fans, but also um, in terms of our own hiring practices, our own procurement, and ultimately uh, the, the composition of teams and drivers. So that's something that we're working on very quietly now, but I think there'll be some progress and some tangible evidence of that uh hopefully next year um the car will evolve uh obviously we want to continue to have wheel-to-wheel passing and and great racing Uh, but we'll also look at uh, at, at the possibility of at least a third oem and that'll that's a challenge but it's something that uh, roger penske i think is maybe uniquely in the world uh able to to uh to be successful in if uh, if it can be done um, and then there's some other technical changes that'll that'll occur i think not not next year and and not in, in 2022
1: but a few years out that take years to develop so there's a lot to look forward to it's interesting what you say about about manufacturers and and obviously Roger Pensky's position there because one of the things we're hearing from leaders and discussing with leaders throughout this series is is to look at the participation of manufacturers in top level uh, motorsport in the future, because obviously it's this period, this COVID period has been extremely difficult for, for manufacturers. It's very clear what the rationale is for manufacturers to be involved in motorsport from a technology development point of view and obviously a marketing point of view. But do you see that rationale changing in any way? And, and do you, are you concerned about the level of investment from manufacturers going forward as a result of, of the 2020 crisis?
0: Yeah, well, obviously, it's it, it hard to imagine a tougher time to have that conversation. Happily, we've been working on it for a while. So there are a number of manufacturers that know our story and have been able to, uh, to watch our progress. Uh, so I guess it's a bit of a speed bump, uh, the COVID, that is. But, um, you know, I, I don't think the basic premise is going to change. I think it is what you said. It's a development opportunity. And certainly, it, it, particularly in the U.S. market. It's a marketing opportunity and finally i think the value proposition for indycar is amazing so if you look at the cost you know to be in uh, formula one or to be in even nascar from my perspective on a sort of cpm basis um how many eyeballs you get in front of for the cost to have a team or to to, sorry to be a manufacturer with maybe a third of the teams i think it's a great value proposition and i think that we've seen that being understood in our conversations.
1: Speaking of CPMs, obviously the digital piece has been very important for Formula One and its growth since since Liberty Media took over and and particularly in finding new audiences. It actually has a data point that 52% of new fans since Liberty took over are under 35. I wonder how is IndyCar setting its strategy when it comes to finding new and younger audiences?
0: Well, I, I have to say, I think uh, Liberty media Formula One have done a great job in that regard they've invested and they're showing that it can work and they're having success uh, so I, I don't know that we're going to invent a new model we'll, we'll be going down that path generally. Um, you know we are kind of beholden to to uh, linear media in this country for most of our live race exposure. I think in the next couple of years, um, the whole architecture will change and particularly with so many subscribers in cable leaving cable streaming is going to take on a a, a a much greater importance. You know, in our primary market, the U S linear coverage will for, for hot, for I don't know how long deliver the biggest audiences, but, um, but streaming will have a more and more important role. And internationally um, as you may know, we, we do believe that that'll be true to some extent in a number of our key markets, but for a whole lot of the world, streaming is really our best opportunity, and I think you'll see us doing much more in that regard.
1: Um, obviously, racing started up in in the U.S. earlier than it did in other parts of the world. Coming out of the of the lockdown, I think NASCAR first, and and then IndyCar. Um, what was the response like to that? And and what's the outlook there in the U S which obviously you're still suffering very high COVID numbers.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, it was eerie for lack of a better word. When we first went back, our, you know, we, we canceled while we're, when we were already in St. Petersburg, Florida, our first race, (laughs) things just took off. Events kind of caught up with everybody. I think in the States that mid March weekend, um, and then it was the first weekend in June when we raced. Uh, we, we first came back in Texas on the Oval there without fans. And, you know, the focus was very much on keeping our competitors, the people who have to be there in the paddock safe. And we've, we've touched wood. It's, it's gone very, very well, but it's, it's not by chance. Um, the teams, day in and day out, when we're not at tracks, and everything that goes on at a track since then, since the beginning of June, has been quite uh, you know, f- uh, robustly enforced. And I say that, uh, enforcement may be the wrong word because the teams really understand the importance of it. If we can't get the participants to the track safely, then we don't have a series. So, But that's gone very well. It continues to be a focus. It will be for the rest of our year. We have three more races left, two of them in Indianapolis. Um, When the fans first started coming back, then you go through this next phase of kind of how weird it is to have a a, a relatively small number of people in the crowd. And at some of those races like um, road America and mid Ohio last weekend, where they're largely wooded campgrounds, Uh, however many people you have, they're spread out by, by uh, nature of the, of the venue. And, um, and so it, it, it was a pretty graceful way, I think, to bring fans back. We'll be announcing what we'll have in the way of crowds for our Harvest Grand Prix doubleheader the beginning of October here in Indianapolis. There will be fans. They will not, not uh, uh, approach the capacity of this venue, but nevertheless, uh, it'll, it'll be more than we've had probably in sports in the city at that point. And then the finale will be in St. Petersburg, Florida, and we still don't know to what extent fans will be um, able to participate. So it, it, it is a, psychologically, it's a, uh, an odd, strange, off-putting sort of process and, and, and uh, environment. But for the racers, it's racing, right? And they, they keep themselves safe, and then they do what they do. And, uh, of course, we'd rather have fans. One, one of the great attributes, I think, of IndyCar that I failed to mention is how accessible we are. And so when we do have fans, they're right there, they're in the, usually in the garage and paddock area. And our drivers are very happy to sign autographs and be, a, be, be quite proximate to fans. So we really
1: do miss that. Speaking of accessibility, obviously, um, eSports has, has really opened up a lot of uh, uh, motorsports over this, over this period. And not only that, uh, people can discover the sport for the first time through esports, particularly younger audiences. But in many cases, can actually race against the races themselves. You know, we saw many great examples of that. What What's your own uh, appreciation of of what the esports uh, period, the, the virtual season, if you like, did for did for motorsport in general and for IndyCar in particular?
0: Well, it it created uh, the opportunity to put esports uh, out, and so. Again, in this country, in the U.S., um, we, had, we had six events and five uh, were on linear television. So, And, and they did pretty well in, in terms of the, the audience. Um, I think there's a future for sure, and I, I expect that it will grow. Um, frankly, in many examples, it's, it's, it's an investment for the sport, which one would like to make, but where it is in the pecking order in our growth remains to be seen. Um, we'd like to get to the place where there is an IndyCar title for a a great game, a compelling game. Um, And then we can really see what the, uh, what the uptake is. But the first thing is the title. That's a significant uh, hurdle in and of itself. But uh, you know, when we've had events and we have had many, not just uh, the ones in this COVID season, but previously, the drivers love it. Our guys really like to like to be out there. They like to compete with the public and uh, and so I think there is an opportunity there for sure.
1: Let's bring back to the what we were saying at the beginning of the conversation about, about this exciting new event in Nashville. And you were saying that one of the kind of key um, attractions of IndyCar is the variety between street courses as Nashville is going to be, the road courses and the ovals. How do you find that balance? I mean, I was... I was lucky enough to cover um, the series back in 1994 when Nigel Mansell was over there. I spent a year traveling around. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was an absolutely wonderful experience and the diversity of the different venues was was really very striking. And I was always fascinated about about the balance between the different types of circuits. What is the right balance and how, how do you work it out? Well, we don't have a quota, but we, we think the balance is
0: important to us. And so we, we just very deliberately think about how to keep it, how to, how to maintain the balance. And it isn't uh, precise, but it's been more or less a third, a third, a third, if you accept the definition of those three disciplines. Um, quite frankly, you know, ovals um, are, are never in the middle of a city. <laughs> Indianapolis is maybe the exception and so I think they're tougher in some respects. So, you know, IndyCar fans love oval racing. It's fastest and it's you know, <laughs> most hair racing, I'm sure. Um, but, uh, but then to attract fans to go, you know, maybe 30, 60 minutes from a, from a city is increasingly a challenge because there's so much competition in, in sports and entertainment. So we have to work really hard on that. Um, streets. I love, because to me, like in Nashville's case, when we put it right in the middle of the city, as we do in St. Petersburg, Florida, in Long Beach, California, it takes over the city. I mean, it's so it's, it's like Monaco. I used to live there and, and appreciate the Formula One event, uh, how it just captivates the entire community. Can't be missed. That's the nature of a street race, but they're hard to do. You have to find um, the, the right combination of, of elements that will accept some disruption. When it happens, it's really compelling because it just shows off a city and captures the imagination of its public so well. So that that's hard, but we love them. And then road courses are easier. You know that somebody's already made the investment, and we know where those tracks are. And it's really a matter of uh, of, of uh, embracing them in a way that balances with the other two formats.
1: You mentioned uh, also earlier on about looking to bring another, another manufacturer into the sport. One of the things we're hearing from a lot of, a lot of leaders around the, the, the series and, and teams as well is, uh, obviously, as a consequence, the economic consequence of what's happened this year, the sponsors are perhaps going to be pretty difficult and thin on the ground uh, through 21 and into 22. How confident are you in the, how robust your pipeline is of sponsors? So for the series itself and for the
0: teams, we feel really good about it under these circumstances. We haven't had anybody run off, really. Um, There will will be some adjustments based on the fact that we expect now we'll have three fewer races this year than was originally planned. Um, But I think people are sticking with us. We're just making some adjustments and mostly, frankly, the timing of consideration. So, uh, and and I think the same is true for the teams. They wanna be on the track, obviously, uh, you got much greater headwinds if you can't produce the sport. But um, I, I, don't, I think all, all of our teams are getting through this and, um, and are quite bullish, optimistic about the future.
1: You're mentioning us also about diversity being really important and, and having a, as, as wide a range of, of fans and of competitors uh, as possible. And obviously, another thing we've seen this year has been the, the, the idea that sport in general needs to have a, a sense of purpose, you know, just to be an entertainment isn't really enough. And obviously across the spectrum from Formula One to NFL, we've seen all kinds of, uh, of uh, social justice messages and, and as well as things like topics like sustainability and, and diversity, et cetera. What's your own view on, on that and, and sport as a platform for, for good causes, if you like, and purpose?
0: Well, I think whether we're business leaders or individual citizens or sport, we do have a responsibility to to uh, make a difference and to to be looking for improvement, which starts with acknowledging the issues. Um, so, I mean, that's a very general statement. For us, I feel like uh, the 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 first thing we can do is is do things that are more than symbolic and that are more than uh, statements. Uh, so, so we are committed to bringing diversity into our sport. And I think we got a lot of work to do to be anywhere near where we should be in that regard. So again, some of that is internal to the way we run our business. If you think of our organization, if you think of it that way, it's work with the teams um, and our promoters uh, t- so that we affect our ecosystem in that way. Uh, and then ultimately it'll be uh, uh, bringing in crew members and drivers and, and our ladder series will be an important part of that. Our pipeline does not look good right now in that regard, but I, we're doing some things right now to see what the possibilities are to make a difference fairly as quickly as we possibly can. So yeah, I, I, the first thing is uh, we do feel a responsibility and sport obviously has, uh, as a visible platform, has a great opportunity to keep the issues in front of the public. But uh, in addition to that, just the way I think, you know, we got to get our own house in order, and and uh, and be a model more than uh, a symbol. Uh, and, and I hope we can make real progress very, you know, consistently over time.
1: And finally, Mark, on a similar theme, obviously, the world was moving towards a decarbonization, more electric mobility, and motorsport moving slowly to to reflect that. Do you feel that um, the clear air that everybody's enjoyed during the, the lockdown and, um, and the way that everybody's now looking at their own sense of vulnerability and all these other discussions. Do you feel that the sustainability topic is, is more powerful now? Do, how do you feel the, the shift in terms of um, you know, the move towards decarbonization and electric? Uh, yeah.
0: Well, the air isn't so clear here. Even you know, three quarters of the way from California, we're getting California forest fire uh, air. And it's true, we're really now coast to coast. So it's top of mind, not just for, as a natural disaster, but as evidence of global warming. And, and uh, it, certainly all these things, the hurricanes in the southern part of this country, um, I think combined to increase the sense of uh, urgency to do something about, to do all the things we can do about global warming in our environment. Saying that, right now um you know our motto is sort of uh you know faster and louder so um i i think that's kind of what our brand is now we're not oblivious to sustainability issues there's a lot of ways we can attack that part of it is off the track with our promoters and the way we operate our events Um, other leagues have done a really good job in that regard i think and part of it is on the track and so. you've seen some discussion about kind of hybrid motors. That's not to replace the basic uh, engine, but rather to supplement. And I think that that's an ongoing conversation that you'll see some, you'll see some implementation on uh, in the next couple of years. Um, And then we'll see where it goes from there. But, but I, I must say right now our OEMs Chevy or general motors and Chevy and Honda they want horsepower, and they, uh, they, they, they think that we are a great platform for that part of their market, and we'll continue to fill that
1: expectation. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Mark.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com slash trilomusic.